0: All right, church, are you ready to help me preach today? All right, church, are you ready? All right, there we go. That's why I had to ask because at 11 a.m. services are developing a reputation, and I know that's not going to be true of you. You're going to help me as we do this, right? Amen. And All right, so be ready, be awake. You're allowed to encourage me. I give you that permission. All right, as we get into today's message, I want to start with reminding you of what a mess it can be to have a bunch of children around. If you've been retired for a while and you forgot, I have four children, and so I'm not talking about the figurative mess or the emotional mess. I'm talking about the literal mess that happens. It, I have four kids and one of our children, incredibly sweet, but she went through this period where she just had this tendency that you would hand her a cup and she would just drop it. You give this child a 64 fluid ounce Slurpee in the back seat of the vehicle and moments later, splash. And, you know, the, the Georgia saying was like she had the hands of a deer for a while. Like, I mean, she just, she couldn't get, get a grasp. And so she, she would try, she was very sweet. Okay, here's your chicken nuggets and the, the thing of ketchup and we're traveling and, and splash. Okay, here's your cup, splash. And it got to the point where the back of our vehicles look like crime scenes now. And there's this reality that we just had to understand. Okay, anything that we we give to her for this season, and, and you know, it was a short season of life where she just couldn't hold on to anything. It's a, it's, it's going to be you're going to know what she had for dinner the next day by looking just around the seat at the car because that's what would happen if we were if we were traveling or anything like that. And, and the, this concept of whatever you have with you ends up around you. Uh, It's true in children, but Jesus taught the concept a little differently. He said, from the overflow of the heart, your mouth will speak. Like whatever you have going on in your heart is going to spill out into your relationships. It's going to spill out into your speech. And, And in fact, I'd say that you can probably say that what's in your heart is going to change the way that you see other people. It's going to change the way that you even hear other people. Because if you have nothing but negativity in your heart, when you hear their words, you're gonna expect them to be as negative as you are and you're gonna take things the wrong way. The condition of your heart will affect so many areas of your life. And if you think that the bitterness that you've been holding into your, in your heart will not affect the relationships around, around you, I'm gonna tell you, Jesus says it's gonna spill out in your speech. Experience tells you it's gonna spill out in all areas of your relationship. And so my my goal for us as a church is that we will get healthy hearts. And the thing that you can do to make your heart healthier is to continue to fill it with the word of God. And that's really what the next 31 weeks are going to be about. I'm going to try to set some more vision for this this thing called the story that we're about to start up. But today, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Samuel chapter 14. And we're, we're going to talk about perspective and risk-taking today. But I want to give you some context as you're finding First Samuel 14. And chapter 13 is where a lot of the context is found. And at this time, the nation of Israel had a king and his, his name was Saul. And Saul began making some prideful choices, and in fact, in chapter 13, he was waiting for a prophet of God to show up, and he got impatient, and he just began to do things that he shouldn't, and he got corrected for that even now. And Saul was preparing 3,000 of his troops to attack the Philistine people who had taken some of their land. In fact, the Philistine people had defeated them regularly, and they had removed all of the blacksmiths from their nation. And they, and they said it with this very intention, that if they don't have blacksmiths, they can't make swords, they won't have spears, they won't be able to fight against us, and it'll protect our future. And so Saul has rounded up 3,000 people and divided them into an army of 2,000 and an army of 1,000, but there are only two swords amongst both the armies. The king Saul had one, and his son Jonathan had the other. The rest of them, they had axes, they had farming tools, and they were ill-prepared for the fight. But Saul had determined he was going to attack and sort of like a sucker punch, he went and took a shot at the Philistines and then the Philistines responded. And this is, this is how they responded in, in chapter 13, verse 5. It says, the Philistines assembled to fight with Israel with 3,000 chariots. Remember, the Israelites had 3,000 people out on the field of battle. The Philistines responded with 3,000 chariots. 6,000 charioteers and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They went and they camped at Michmash, east of Beth-Avon. And when the Israelites saw that their situation was critical and that the army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets or thorns among the rocks and in pits and in cisterns. Now to begin to just get a glimpse of the context of the situation, they went and engaged in a fight that now they cannot win. They are grossly outnumbered and the people are discouraged and they are fearful. Chapter 13, verse seven says, some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul, King Saul remained at Gilgal and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. If you wanna use the picture of like pre-UFC fight where the people stare each other down, like the Philistines were, were given the mean mug, And the Israelites were like, I don't want this fight. And in fact, they were hiding. If you don't know what a cistern is, think of like a well. They were so scared for their life, some of them even left the promised land. They would have said, God gave us this land. God is going to provide for us in this land. But then they said the army, and they said, I am running from this land. And they left. We're actually gonna see in some later passages that some of the Hebrew people were so scared that they went and, and joined the army of the Philistines as slaves, basically, so that their lives would be spared. That's the terror that had a grip of them in the land that God had promised to them. And so now we have the 3,000-ish the of the Israelites in a camp, and then we have the Philistines in a camp, and and they're separated, and nothing's happening yet. And that's when we pick up 1 Samuel chapter 14. We're gonna read verse six. And to remind you, Jonathan is the son of King Saul. Let's go across to the outpost of those pagans, Jonathan said to his armor bearer. Perhaps the Lord will help us, for nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle, whether he has many warriors or only a few. Now, I don't know if you were able to do the math quickly, but two people versus thousands of people is a very poor plan. Not only that, only one of them has a sword. And when kids, when parents tell you to pick your friends carefully, this might be kind of what they're talking about. Because this armor bearer is now hearing from Jonathan, let's go across to the outpost of those pagans, perhaps the Lord will help us. Now look, if, if someone's trying to persuade me that God is going to save our life, I would like them to speak with a little bit more confidence than just perhaps. Like, could you at least just lie to me and say, yes, God will save us, let's go fight these Philistines. Like, I can hear that a little bit better. But there's something in Jonathan's heart that even though most of the nation is terrified and the army has people who have gone and jumped into wells to avoid the fight, Jonathan said, you know what, God doesn't need all of us. Nothing's going to hinder him from winning this fight, so let's just go ahead and fight the fight by ourselves. What, What is going on in Jonathan's brain that he would think this way? Well, the passage was very intentional that when it described the number of the people in the army in 1 Samuel 13, verse 5, when it lists off, 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and soldiers as numerous as the sand and the seashore, that illustration, that statement of the sand and the seashore was very intentional. Because it would have connected any good Israelites' mind back to the promises of God. The promises that they received that were passed down from generation to generation of what God spoke. In Genesis 22, verse 17, when God said, I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies. And so what I believe was happening in Jonathan's heart is that he is seeing something that stands contrary to the promises of God that he has received. And I know that in your life you see lots of things that stand contrary to the promise of God. You see lots of times where it seems like evil is winning when good should prevail. You see lots of times when when we should be serving, but everyone is standing hands off. We see lots of times where our reality is not looking like the kingdom of God on earth that it should. And when you see that we have a decision to make, do we do something about it? Or do we go hide in a well somewhere and avoid the fight? There was something that happened in Jonathan's heart that he said, "When I see this battle, all I see is God showing up to do something." And so he spoke to his his armor-bearer and said, Let, "Let's just go. Let, let's make our way over here." And Verse four says, to reach the Philistine outpost, Jonathan had to go down between two rocky cliffs that were called Bozes and Sennah. And Bozes, it means slippery slope. And so they had to go through this passageway with cliffs where there was nowhere to run. And on one side, it was a slippery cliff. and On the other side, the, the, the word is translated to thorns. And so one side's covered with thorns. You have nowhere to escape. When they got to where the fight would be, they had to climb up the hill to the fight with both hands. And as they're approaching this, the conversation goes like this with his armor bearer. Do what you think is best, the armor bearer said in verse seven. I'm with you completely, whatever you decide. Now, The type of people that you hang out will get you into different kinds of trouble. You can pick your trouble, but it just seems like people always bring us towards some sort of difficulty, drama, whether they're good people, bad people, it leads us towards something, but you've got to pick the kind of trouble that you're going to get into. And many pastors have said, and I agree with them, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. You're going to become more like them. You're going to be influenced by them. And the armor bearer is probably questioning his royal assignment of why did I agree to do this? But there's something in him that says, Jonathan, whatever you do, I'm gonna be with you. Some of you guys have that friend who you know, is very spiritual and they're the one who dragged you into church and like, I do not know what I've gotten myself into here today, but I'm gonna tell you, they brought you into a good adventure. And Jonathan, he brought his armor bearer into a story that should be talked about from generation to generation because this is a crazy step of faith. And the thing is that Jonathan and his armor bearer, they did not receive a specific word or promise. I want you to see their, their decision to go and do this, but they didn't receive like an absolute, hey, Jonathan, you need to go and do this. They did set up as they were saying, you know what, here, here, if they tell us to come up to them, then that's a sign that God's gonna give us victory. And, it, and if they don't, then, then we'll take it as, as it's too late and our life is over pretty much because there's no running from them at that point. And so as they go and they see God begin to open one door, they say, you know what, let's climb the hill. Let's engage in the fight. And in your group of friends, I wonder what kind of trouble you're leading your friends into. Are you shaking up the normal of saying, hey, God needs to be in your life. We need to take risks for God. We need to live for God. We need to talk about our relationship with God. Are you bringing that into your group of friends? Or are you bringing them just into the normal kind of trouble that the world brings? Because your influence matters. And what this church, and what this city, what this nation, what Christianity across the world needs is we need more people who will look at a situation and say, this seems impossible, but God's promises are always true. This seems like it would never work, but if God is gonna be in it, he's gonna make it happen because all the other soldiers, they are shaking with fear, but our God is able to shake the very ground on which they stand. He doesn't need a whole army. He needs someone to step out into obedience. And we're so stinking wise that we look at the situations around us and we just say, oh, that's impossible. Oh, God could never do that. We're so smart, we limit God into the things of, we say, okay, well, you know what? God could win that fight if he would just give us an F-16, a couple tanks, Uh, a couple rifles, and then we can take down those guys with swords. And and we're just so smart that we create a plan that we say, God, if you just win the fight before it happens, then I'll actually go out and fight it. And what God is looking for is the people who say, you know what? No matter what, God is going to be faithful. He can do this, whether it makes sense or not. And so I'm going to step out and trust. And what's inside of you is going to spill on the outside of you. If there's nothing but doubt in your heart to the things of God, then you're never going to take a step of faith that involves any sort of risk. But if the word of God dwells richly in your hearts and minds, it's going to empower you to live your life in a way that when you see an army, all you see is the God who spoke the universe into existence. And you say, if God is for us, who can stand against us? And so Jonathan looks at this situation and, and the armor-bearer says, "You know what? I'm with you completely. Let's go for it." And so verse 13, they climbed up using both hands and feet. And the Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor-bearer, and those who came behind and his armor-bearer killed those who came behind them. They killed some 20 men in all, and and their bodies were scattered over about half an acre. There was a fight and two took on 20, and that's incredible. But two is not 15,000, is it? There's still a whole lot more to do. There's a still a whole lot more that should happen. But what happened during the fight, and we're, we think, okay, 2 versus 20 is, is difficult but not impossible. But what happened during the fight, someone in the Philistine camp looked out over the edge and they saw the fighting that was going on. They saw their countrymen falling and they called out in panic. We're being raided. The, the Hebrews have come. The Israelites have come. And it created panic throughout the camp so Jonathan and his armor bearer, they didn't have to defeat thousands upon thousands. What ended up happening is God began to show up with just that, that first fight in verse 15. It says, suddenly panic broke out in the Philistine army, both in the camp and the field, including even the outpost and the raiding parties. And just then an earthquake struck and everyone was terrified. Do you see the symmetry of what's happening here? It started first with the Israelites, Quaking is what the passage said. The men were terrified. They were too afraid to fight. They ran. They joined the opposing army. They hid in wells. They hid in briars. They hid in holes in the ground. And now the people who should have been fighting that were quaking, now God is making the earth shake. Confusion is breaking out in the camps. Jonathan fought 20 people, but he affected thousands. Faith is believing the promise so much that you can see the end when you're still in the beginning. Faith is believing that God is going to come true when everything still feels impossible. And I understand you're not dealing with the Philistine army in front of you, but the anxiety that is keeping you up late at night that you're just so worried of how are you going to fix this, God says to cast those anxieties at his feet. To not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough worries of its own, but to focus on what you can do today. The relationship that you're worried about that's that's causing you stress, you can entrust that into God's hands. The addiction that has been creeping in again God is able to give you victory in that battle, even though it feels insurmountable to you. If you begin to take the steps of obedience that are required today, because this is what we see in the things of God, even using Peter as an example, when he was on the boat in the middle of the storm and he sees Jesus out walking in the wave and he says, Jesus, if it's you, let me know and I'll come to you. Jesus doesn't say, yes, it's me. And then Jesus runs to the side of the boat and picks Peter up like a little baby and cradles him and walks him out and says, Peter, you did it, you walked on water. That's not how it happened. He said, yes, come to me. And he let Peter take the steps out of the boat himself. And then when Peter started to sink, Jesus grabbed him by the arm and pulled him back up After he had struggled some. And so are the things of God gonna be in your life. God is gonna give you an opportunity and a calling and a fight to be in and he is gonna ask you to take those first steps. With Jonathan and his armor bearer, they had to climb the hill. They had to climb the mountain. They had to fight a fight. But when they took the steps that they were required to take, God then worked the miracle and shook the earth. God then did what only God was capable of once his people did what they were capable of. And God calls us to steps of obedience after we seek after his will in our life. But if you don't know God's word, you don't even necessarily know what God is calling you towards. When you haven't seen God's promises on display through generations, it's harder to trust him. And so as a church in 2023, we need to raise our biblical understanding of what God has done from creation through revelations. We need to raise what we know so that we can begin to say, you know what, God worked through this before, he can work through it again. God worked through broken people before, he can work through broken people again. And it's going to elevate our faith and our expectation as we become more familiar with what God has done. And so Jonathan and the armor bearer, they make their way up and it creates confusion that spreads. And this is what, we're going to, what we see in verse 16. Saul, the King Saul and his armies that are out there, the lookouts in, in Gebiah of Benjamin saw a strange sight the vast army of the Philistines began to melt away in every direction. And then into verse 20, it says, Saul and his his men rushed to the battle and found the Philistines killing each other. There was terrible confusion everywhere, is what the passage says. And so now we see the army that was too afraid to fight joining the two people, just two people, who went and began to fight against the vast army. And, we're going to see, and we see this in culture and we see this in industry so often is that it often takes two people who say, you know what, this needs to be done and it seems impossible, but we're just going to figure out how to do it. And everyone calls them crazy until it starts to work. And then when it seems like it's going to work, what do we have? We have a flood of people who then say, okay, it's time to join the fight. And and, and that's what begins to happen. They start rushing in once they see that victory is on the way. And and so often we see this, uh, we'll see someone broken down on the side of the road and their car stalled out or ran out of gas and no one is helping them. And then one person is like, oh, that person needs help. They can't push a car by themselves. So they get out of their car and they say, okay, I'm going to push this car up to the gas station with them. And then once one person begins to help, it's amazing how like five more cars will stop and be like, hey, you guys need a hand? And it's like for 30 minutes, no one was helping. Why is it now that we have two people, now that we have five, now we have five people. Now we have 10 people and the car is just rolling down the road and he doesn't have to push anymore. He's in the driver's seat working the steering wheel and the brake and things are moving. Why is it that we're afraid to start? And it's so easy to see in hindsight, but it's hard in the moment that we, we want to be the people who say, if that hill seems impossible, we can still take it. If the fight seems unwinnable, we should still approach it if God has called us to do it. But we like to be in the camp of, oh, let's just wait a minute and see if it begins to work out. And I wanna wanna challenge us to see things a little different and it's never the wrong time to start doing the right thing. But the fact is so many of us are waiting to make sure that it's gonna work out, to make sure that it's winnable because we don't wanna be embarrassed. We have the people like, I'm gonna climb the hill and then we have the people who are like, I'll join the fight once it looks like it's going well. I've had people straight up tell me this before. They're like, hey, when Gulfside has its own permanent facility, I'm gonna start coming to church with you guys. And I'm like, why would you wait until the easy part? Like why would you wait until the fight is over to get in on what's happening here? Like if it was a country club, I would understand that perspective. If it was entertainment based where you sit and you just enjoy what's happening and you leave, I would get that, but that is not what a church is supposed to be. We are called to fight together. Each one of you guys have been given a gift, a weapon that is supposed to be used in this war of impacting our city for the kingdom of God and each one of us is supposed to be using it. And if we're saying, I'm just gonna wait until it's nice and that's not what we're called to do. That's not building a church. That's not being part of a body. Scripture says when one part of the body is missing, all parts suffer. And when you are missing, the church is suffering because your gift is not being used. You don't come here just to receive something. You come here to bring a word of hope, a word of encouragement, to to use the gift that God has placed in your life for the benefit, for the building up of others. But we have people living this way. In verse 21, It says, even the Hebrews who had gone over to the Philistine army. These are the ones who are like, it's too dangerous. I'm just going to go be a slave to you guys so that I live. Or they were captured before and brought in as slaves. It says, even the Hebrews who had previously gone over to the Philistine army revolted and joined with Saul, Jonathan, and the rest of the Israelites. Listen to this. Likewise, the men of Israel who were hiding in the hill country of Ephraim joined the chase when they saw the Philistines running away. So the Lord saved Israel that day and the battle continued to rage, even in Beth-Avon. The people who were hiding in the well, they're down in the well and they're like, hey, how's the fight going up there? We're winning, they're on the run. Okay, send me a rope down, I'm ready to fight now. You know, they're retelling the story of their day in battle later in their years. I remember that day, that fateful day of battle where I was in the battlefield. You mean on the battlefield? No, in it. I was down in a well hiding. Once we started winning, I finally got up and I I got my pitchfork and I helped chase the Philistines once they were too far for me to catch them. We know that's not the way we want to tell the story of our life, that we lived in hiding and safety all our days until things were obviously won and then we participated. We know that's not how we want to live. But there's so many things in regards to our faith that it just seems like impossible. Like how, how could God work in this? How could God work that out? The only way that you'll begin to see the opportunity or the possibility of victory in your life differently is when your, word, when your heart is more filled with his word when your mind is more filled with his word, when you hear more testimonies of what God has done in the other people in the church's life. As you allow that to take more space in your head and heart, you're not gonna have as much space and room for the doubt that's been living there and you won't help but see situations of, hey, if I stop right now and help this person, there's gonna be an opportunity for me to share about God's incredible love with them. And when I share that, God's gonna to begin to work in their life and you're going to, going to begin to take risks that you never would have taken before for the kingdom of God. Band, if you guys will make your way up, I'm gonna to begin to, to wrap this thing up. You know, verse six, it, it, going back to, to when the people were in hiding, it said in, in verse six that when the Israelites saw that their situation was critical and their army was hard pressed, they hid in caves and thickets and among the rocks and in the pits and in the cisterns. Man, it would be creepy to climb down into a cistern. And there would have to be some crazy terror that grabs a hold of your heart to be like, I am so scared, I'm going to hide in thorns. But at the same time, it must have been scary to say, I am climbing this hill and I know that I'm going to reach into a battle that I could never win on my own. But man, I want, the, I want to have the type of faith that says, but when I enter into this battle that I could never win on my own, I know that I will not be alone. I know this is not my fight. And I know that God's promises are always true. And so I'm going to try things that will seem crazy for generations and generations. I'm gonna engage in a battle for the kingdom of God, not just a battle for my own pride, not for my own ego, because I would rather lose all of that. As Jesus said, you know, those who try to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for his sake will save it. There's an economy in the kingdom of God that, that requires risk for that reward. We have to step out. And, you know, our, our goal which so many people see as a finish line for us. And they're like, man, Gulfside's gonna pull it off. They're gonna actually build a building and finally be a real church. I'm like, oh, no, we don't need the building. And the building is not our finish line. And believe me, we are gonna build the building and it's gonna be awesome and I can already see it in my mind. It's not gonna be too fancy, but boy, is it gonna be used. I can already see the preschool that's gonna be there. And I can see a line of little kids wearing their Gulfside preschool T-shirts, reciting Bible verses from a young age, and it's going to transform them at an early age, and it's going to transform their family. I see moms and dads turning to Christ because they just signed their kid up for preschool not knowing any better. And they got stuck at our church because their kid made them come. Know that when we have that building, we're going to use it to influence thousands of teenagers. I can already see it packed with kids, I can smell it. If you've ever been in a room full of teenagers, you know what I'm talking about. I can see that room being filled with Gulfside Iglesia and Gloria de, de Dio, Gloria de Dio, glory to God. Filling that place. And people that I don't have the ability to impact will be impacted by another pastor who's speaking Spanish and spreading the kingdom of God in our area when that building is established. But that building is not our finish line. We together are going to make that happen. We together are going to plant more churches up and down the coast of West Florida. We together are going to find neighborhoods that other people would describe as slums, in third world countries, and we're gonna plant churches there, we're gonna see people rescued from trafficking, we're gonna see people taught vocations to provide for their family, and we're gonna transform cities that are outside of our nation, and we're gonna do that together. And it might seem impossible It might seem like a hill that is too difficult to climb. You might say, oh, we don't have the right stuff. We don't have the right equipment. Listen, our heavenly father has cattle on a thousand hills. He has everything that we need. And I know that we're going to be victorious in it because Jesus told us. He said, we're going to make disciples of all nations. He said that we're going to be his witnesses across the world. We have been given this calling and I am confident that the gospel of Jesus Christ is still transforming lives to this day. But I need people not who are going to say well when it's all done I'm going to jump in the fight. It's not what we need. And maybe, maybe you feel like you're late and you're joining the fight. Great, get in it. But we have too many people while the fight is happening they're sitting in a hole. And their gifts are sitting in that hole with them. And their capacity is sitting in that hole in hiding. And what we need is a church that is saying, I'm familiar with the story of what God has done from beginning to end. And so my confidence level in him is so high that we can pursue, these dreams are too small, Paul. You gotta, you gotta dream something bigger. This is too achievable. We, we can buy a, a plane ticket and we can get over there with ease and we can, we can drop some money and we can hire a pastor and we can make that happen. Dream bigger. That's where we need to be going. But our, our, I'd say our hills first today is saying we need a church where every man, woman, and child is saying, I have a gift in me that needs to be used and I need to find the place to use it in my church and in my city. And if fear has been holding you back from taking the steps of getting connected, I want to invite you to join us as we read the story together. There's nothing magic about this except for it contains the word of God in it. And it's divided in a way that it's one chapter a week. It's an easy read, but we're going to see the the picture of, you know, the high, the overview of, Here's what God did from Genesis to Revelation, but we're going to look at some of the specifics of what God did through specific people, and I believe it's going to raise your confidence and an expectation of what God can do in your life and through your life. I think it's going to raise your confidence of what God can do in your church and through your church. And I believe God's going to do things that other people would say, that is impossible, that is ridiculous that that happened, and that started with just a few people at Gulfside. Now it's impacting a person that speaks a completely different language. It's impacting a completely different city in Florida. But we serve a God who can do the impossible, don't we, church? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for for the foolish faith of Jonathan who said, even in the face of thousands, we will go. And we thank you that you show up for your people we thank you that you are always true to your promise and we thank you that as we go out and we pursue the vision and the dream that you've given us for this time that we can already see it as done but we are called to steps of step obedience today so convict our heart give us the call and give us the vision of the step we need to take this week and I, I pray you give us courage as we jump into this 31 week adventure together to study your word Would you help us to grow closer together and stand more firm in your promises? In Jesus' name.